Now do tell me if I'm being harsh. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of F1 in Review, the episode in the hour where we discuss our losers for this 2022 season of F1. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt. A reminder that you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in Review account where these episodes are posted once they've gone out, be that live on River Radio or via your preferred podcast provider of choice. Now, in terms of how this all works, now for those who listened to our winners episode last week, it's pretty much the same format. But for those who are new to this and unsure about how this all works, essentially, in preparation for this episode, we've all picked a driver and a team, that's myself, Tristan and Angus, who unfortunately can't be here today, who we deem as our losers of this season. They could be losers in more ways than one on and off the field of track, if you will. It's up to us to go and justify ourselves, if you will. So we know who each other have picked before to avoid doubling up and to ensure we talk about at least three drivers and three different teams. But I know personally I will be mentioning some people who came rather close or teams that came rather close as well to making the list but fell away or didn't quite make the top grade of Louisville, I guess, for one reason or another. So I hope that all makes sense. Without any further ado, Tristan, there's 20 drivers, 20 teams. Which one have you picked? Which driver have you picked? And why? Well, I've picked Mattia Bonotto and he's not a driver, as you might have guessed. There is 20 drivers to pick from, but I couldn't pick a driver and not, not because I didn't want to. But because I saw your picks and I thought those are excellent picks, I'd have picked them both. And just as I was pondering which poor drivers I had 18 left to pick from, to, to pick for myself, it came out that Mattia Bonotto, the team principal for Ferrari, had been sacked. And I thought, cool, that's the biggest loser. He is the, mm. the, the biggest loser. Firstly, because he's just lost the job of being team principal at Ferrari, which is for, for many people, a, a dream job, an incredible job. Maybe it's even one step above driver, if you'd like, uh, because not only do you get to experience Formula One all the time, but you also get to, to manage the team. You get to have a such a, a an in-depth, close relationships um, to, to all parts of Formula One. Being team principal is a kind of a special job, actually. Um, and it can make superstars out of those who are on enough to, to do it. Look at Toto Wolff and Christian Horner. Um, that's mm. the Mercedes and Red Bull team principals, respectively. They are, in their own right now, sort of celebrities. And Mattia Bonotto, with his funny hair and uh, funny glasses, um, kind of was almost fitting into that role as well, especially after the drive to survive. And people thought he was going to lead Ferrari into the the new future he managed the team from 2019 and that's when he when he took up the the slack um he's been with ferrari for 28 years Mm. being um before that he was the chief technical officer at ferrari and he's been in the engine department Uh, there is an interesting picture of matty bonotto wearing a, a red bull logo on his shirt because he actually worked with um the Red Bull uh, team when, well, when you if you go back a little bit to when uh, Toro Rosso was called Toro Rosso instead of Alfa Tauri, and they used Ferrari engines, uh, Massimo Bonotto worked with the team um, with the Red Bull um, junior team then. So he he's kind of been around the paddock for a very long time. He's eventually made his way up to team principal. Then this year they came out the the gates 
absolutely flying and scoring 44 points in in Bahrain and then Saudi Arabia again doing really well um taking 34 points and Matteo Bonotto if you remember the first race got up onto the 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 podium and everyone said wow isn't that symbolic that the team principal never really goes mm. up onto the onto the onto the top step of the podium never takes the the constructors trophy for that race and it was a symbol of new ferrari gone had the old um ferrari you know out the back it's with its terrible engine they'd sort of made a comeback over the last couple of years and then what happened they kind mm. of ferraried it and <laughs> i think it's been a really unfortunate season um for for matteo bonotto because he got second and I don't think Ferrari would usually sack their team principal for getting second. But what happened this year was the way that Ferrari got second was the most clownish way possible. It, oh. They almost lost it. They went from hero to zero in six or seven races. And it was absolutely nuts. By the time they hit Azerbaijan Grand Prix, they got no points. And you, that's just ridiculous. They almost lost second place for Charles Leclerc in, uh, uh, well, in in Japan, and, and finally scrambled their way, um, in Abu Dhabi to to get Charles over the line first and get him his second place. And they nearly lost it to to Mercedes, who Mercedes has a terrible, terrible start this year. So, and and a lot of that pressure has been on Matteo Bonotto, and he as a team principal should have really been able to take control of the situation a bit. And as usual, I think Ferrari themselves, the the I suppose the those properly in charge of the Ferrari conglomerate rather than Matteo Bonotto, the the real leaders and the board, the executives, have decided that Matteo Bonotto is his head's gonna roll because of the poor strategy choices and um moments of unreliability within the car maybe some driver errors as well. You know, Charles hasn't been perfect, for example. And at the end of the day, all of that, the buck stops at Matti Bonotto. And so that's it. He is, in my eyes, biggest loser. A liberal interpretation of the rules there, but I can't really argue with that because, yes, I mean, fair play to Bonotto for being held accountable ultimately for what the uh, season of Ferrari has been, which is a disaster, as you so eloquently put there, Tristan. But... He's more a symptom of the problem, or his leadership has been more a symptom of the problem than the problem itself. It started off so well, as you said, and we got towards the summer break, and it was quite clear that the strategy calls weren't working. They had such a fantastic package, a fantastic car, that was regularly topping the timesheets on the Saturday, and then they'd essentially throw it away, throw away a podium as well for good measure uh, when it came to the Sunday and the gap between themselves and Red Bull got larger and larger and Mercedes closed up and ultimately it became uh, a two-horse race where they nearly finished third which really sums it all up doesn't it considering how well they'll be able to develop the car previous to the season starting. But when Bernardo said as I said, approaching the summer break, there would be no changes within this sort of interior Ferrari team, be that strategy, be that pit wall, be that... Uh, people back at the factory, no change at all. He thought, well, something's got to give here because either he's got to go and grasp the situation, be allowed to by the powers that be or demand it to be so, shake things up, change it and bring in the best of the best and move things around because it wasn't working or he would have to go. He's gone now, which ultimately shows that Ferrari weren't willing to go through that needed yet painful and systematic change that still needs to happen if they want to become a winning constructor moving forwards and aren't in the sport purely for commercial and branding reasons. And Bonotto has done a fantastic job, but he's a symptom of the Ferrari culture of you come in through the very bottom, you work your way up and you get to the very top and congratulations. And there's a lot of merit in that, but it gets to a point where if Ferrari wants to be the best of the best again and really take the fight towards Red Bull and Mercedes as well, two winning machines, uh, be that recently or in lesser years gone by. If they want to do that and they can do this, they need to go to Mercedes, to Red Bull, to McLaren, to Alpine, to all the teams around and say, we'd like you to go and work with us because we believe you're the best person for the job. We can pay you this amount of money. We can give you the freedom that you need to do your job effectively. But we want you because we want to win. And I didn't really get that message or that ethos or that, I suppose, 
cult of belief really when it came to Ferrari in the last few seasons because when Bonotto first came in you can't always sort of lay it all at his doorstep because they were heavily penalised by their illegal engine but the 2020 season was a disaster closer to Alfa Tauri than they were to the top echelons of the table bit better in 21 but still not up to where Ferrari can be and 22 they threw away essentially what was at one point as I say eloquently or uneloquently said a gift wrap title because they had such an advantage over Red Bull and they just couldn't ultimately make it pay um, so for that reason can't argue with that I like Bonotto personally I think he brought a lot of humility and a lot of a uh, sort of human characteristics to the role of team principal when he was interviewed he seemed like a very decent man really but I just don't think he was or is the man for the job to shake up Ferrari and to drag them albeit kicking and screaming if you will towards the title be that the drivers or the constructors so it's a shame hopefully he comes back in some format but um it had to be done, something had to give, and regrettably it was the man at the top, but I fear that Ferrari would go, ah, oh, well, you know, we've made a change, a change, let's carry on as we are, and I think that would be the wrong decision, but yeah, well, we are. And moving on to my driver, and I promise it is a driver on this occasion. I toyed a lot with this one. I was very close to picking Mick Schumacher, owing to the fact that he's been dumped from Haas after scoring 12 points. But no, instead I went for the man who also scored 12 points, but still goes on to keep his seat. Yuki Sonoda, he finished uh, 17th P17 out of 20 drivers. If you're excluding Hulkenberg and Nick De Vries, who will be his teammates come next season. And scored double the points of the debutant Guan Yu Zhou in this season. Now this being a whopping 20 points and three places down if you compare it to his 2021 performance. Now while the overall AlphaTauri unit has to go and take some blame for this, ultimately we, we can say and I'll go on to this that the book doesn't stop with Yuki Tsunoda, it goes deeper as well. You've got to go and apportion some of that blame towards Yuki Tsunoda himself because when we consider that Gasly got nearly double the amount of points as him in this season, bear in mind this is his second season as well in terms of being in Formula 1, being AlphaTauri as well, it can't all just be the power unit, the car, the package, the team wall if you will that have ultimately sort of pulled the rug from beneath his feet. Now granted he's closed the gap to the now Alpine driver when you compare that to his debut but then again as we're seeing with Guan Yu Zhou and Bottas in any debutant that comes into Formula 1 the first season you allow them a buy, a pass, you expect some points if it's a decent car but then the second season the bare minimum is to go and close the gap. Now you may be thinking, well, okay, why have you picked Sonoda? He's still got a seat, he's still in Formula 1, still quite young as well, 22 years old, can go and prove himself, and Schumacher doesn't. Now that's true, I can't argue with that. But let's be fair, when Schumacher was released from a team like Haas, which is quite turbulent, very much a junior team, and bolted onto the end of Ferrari, if you will, and um, very much at their disposal in more ways than one, when you consider how helpful they've been in the past... Schumacher's now frame, we believe, is going to be involved with Mercedes as a reserve driver or something more senior, if that's possible. I'd much rather be in Schumacher's shoes. That's hard to say. Um, <laughs> but, be, yeah. but be outside of Formula 1 and going into a Mercedes team where he's clearly held in high regard by Toto Wolff and all, then likely peaking with AlphaTauri. Because I feel now that a lacklustre season from Yuki Tsunoda, granted he is still young, has ultimately put him as being third choice in line to replace Perez if Perez goes. In my mind now, he's behind Nick de Vries, who has had a very good start to the season. Um, he's behind Ricardo as well. He's been brought in as, as the reserve driver. And we know he wants to get back into Formula 1. That's his ambition. So, for me, I can see AlphaTauri as being Sonoda, where Sonoda peaks, and I see the only reason he's been kept on and not dumped, similar to Schumacher, who he scored the same points as, is because ultimately the pipeline of Red Bull has dried up a bit. There doesn't seem to be a new Yuki Sonoda they're willing to gamble on, or indeed there doesn't seem to be uh, the Red Bull ethos or, I suppose, um, decision-making process where they go, well, let's gamble again, let's gamble again, let's see how it goes. Um, so I feel he's, he's got a lot, a lot of work to do to nail down his spot in in Formula 1 to keep his seat next season for AlphaTauri. And I think any ambitions of being a Red Bull driver are, very slim if not gone now and when you consider now in my eyes he's going to be behind Nick De Vries who's 28 years old and very much you know heavily involved in Formula 1 be it in the background I think really when we talk about seasons that define drivers careers in Formula 1 I think we'll look back at this one 2022 and say this was a chance that Sonoda really missed and uh, ultimately set his course for the rest of the season or his rest of his career should I say. 
yeah, I, I kind of agree that he didn't do very well this season. Whether or not he's the biggest loser, I, uh, I'm undecided. Your your arguments were were solid, but okay. whether or not they were fully convincing, I, uh, I'm not sure. I, uh, because he, there's no getting away from his his performance was bad. But whether or not the Alpha Tauri car was up to snuff this year is my only question. Um, maybe you could say he's the biggest loser because he had that car. But again, mm-hmm. I think whether or not we think he should, you know, is still being responsible for his seat. I guess that's the question. Um, he has had a very linear um, year, really, especially between round six in Spain and then all the way to round 18. He got zero points. Mm. So that was eight races in a row. He got no points. Um, and, and finishing finishing on 12 points was not particularly good for uh, for the team. And actually, in fairness um, to him, it's been a very, I think it's been a very, very difficult year. Um, sim- simply because, as I say, the, the car's not been very good. Um, and I don't know, though, he's, he's, he's kind of, he's not as bad as he used to be. I think especially last year when he was, he was, got more points, but certainly there was a inconsistencies in his race. And, but, but this year it's felt like he's just not been really able to get into the points as opposed to him being able you know doing something particularly wrong and that's kind of the same problem that Haas has for example there's not actually that many point scoring places and so once Pierre Gasly for example as they took the final space uh, Yuki gets the you know 11th rather than 10th and so you go okay fair enough um you're pretty close to points and when you look through his season as a whole there is a lot of 12th places 10th places, you know, 14th places, 13th places, 11th place. Um, he doesn't really come at the back all that often. Mm. And, I, um, and I think that's perhaps something that should be credited to him. He's also had a few issues with, with DNFs this year. He's had a number of DNFs, so that's quite problematic really for, for him. But I agree that he certainly could have had a, a better season, but because Pierre didn't do very well, I, I can't help but thinking that what, what Yuki lacked this year was a proper car underneath him that he was able to capitalise on. Because when he's in a fast car, he actually does a, a little bit better, um, which should be remembered. And he was able to get um, a few good places um, and able to get um, you know, a few good points. Um, ending on twelfth isn't too bad. I mean, his his best race result was seventh this year, so that's that's not half bad. But is mm. he the biggest loser? I th- I don't think so. I don't think he was the biggest loser. But certainly, I wonder whether or not they're going to keep Yuki Tsunoda for much longer, given he was he sort of came into the sport with everyone hyping up his his incredible talent, especially in the lower divisions, Formula Two. And then he's kind of sunk a little bit and not moved anywhere from that kind of rookie sort of individual. I still think of Sonoda as a, a proper rookie, mm, making yeah. those silly mistakes, not really having a grip on, on what Formula 1 is compared to Formula 2 and Formula 3. And actually, you know, by the end of his second season, he's going to be going to his third season now. We will be expecting... A, a growth and a maturity there because otherwise they'll just replace him with another rookie who might get up to grips and, and up to speed quicker. Mm. Do you buy into my argument that this season this season could set the course for his future career and essentially Red Bull now go, well, maybe Yuki's not for us. He's not the talent we thought he was when we first brought him in. Yeah, I do. I think that's a... That's a I, I buy into that. Um, but I don't think Red Bull will be looking at Alpha Tauri for their supporting drivers for a while not with max mm. signing till the the next millennia and <laughs> and perez you know he's going to be sticking around for a couple more years and then red bull i could see looking at uh, other options and unless next year yuki sets himself up really really well i think certainly he could sort of fly in as a as a, you know big big hype and song and dance around him make no 
major impact in the sport, especially as Alpha Tauri isn't as good as it was maybe a couple of years ago when Pierre Gasly was at his peak there, and then fly out again. And I don't think the sport would have lost all that much, if I'm being brutally honest. And Yuki mm. at the moment, Yuki this year kind of added a bit of spice to the F1 races, a bit like how Nicholas Latifi does. Uh, don't forget that, that um, Yuki had wonderful moments this year and caused multiple safety cars. And we were like, oh, thank goodness for that. That's a, you know, well done, Sonoda. He's added a little bit of excitement to the race. Uh, like in Canada. Do you remember Canada when he came out of the pits and immediately crashed? I was thinking about that Grand Prix where that happened. Yeah, that was Canada. Yeah, well yeah done, well done. that's the kind of defining moments of Yuki Sonoda's championship this year. Hmm. Agreed. We remember, as you say, the ones where he went out early and retired versus a P7, which, let's be fair, in an AlphaTauri is quite a commendable finish, really, considering how woeful it has been and can be this season. Yeah, I think at the end of this, if Yuki had lost his seat, I think definitely biggest loser. But I would mm. say Yuki's just had a pretty poor season. That's very fair. Yeah, I suppose time will tell in many regards how consequential or unconsequential the season is, really. But looking at drivers who have lost their seats, we get on to Angus's pick for driver. Now, Daniel Ricciardo released one year before his contract with McLaren was due. He's been replaced by Oscar Piastri. He now is a reserve driver, the reserve driver for Red Bull. He's determined, he says, to get back into the sport in 2024, that season after the one that's coming. And it's fair to say that this was like a, a car crash happening in slow motion. We could see it coming from a while off, really, arguably from last season, if he excluded the Monza win there. But um, what do we make of Angus's pick there, with Ricardo now being his loser, and indeed the reserve driver now, and not in Formula 1 in the traditional sense? Yeah, now we're talking. That's uh, mm -hmm. Ricardo's a proper, proper candidate for perhaps the the biggest loser in terms of the the drivers. And Ricardo's just had no, no season at all. Yep, it's yep. been absolutely heartbreaking to watch Ricardo just because he. We hoped at the end of last year, especially after the excitement that there was. Um, because Ricardo did pick it up um, in the middle of last season. He was going to perhaps capitalise on the new rules and, and take on not only Lando Norris, but also the other experienced drivers and live up to the hype that, that was Daniel Ricciardo at Red Bull. And this year, he has just... He's just been in the wrong place. That's all it is. He does not suit the 2022 McLaren car. And, to, and McLaren this year just did not just did not suit Ricardo. Um I think the thing to remember as well is once you get unhappy with your position, I think you are you're going to end up making everything worse. And I think this year Ricardo at McLaren was in a, a, a bit of a spiral spiraling downwards until eventually the team were like, well mate, we've we've had enough of you. And we we kind of I think we all knew that it was going to be at an end when Oscar Piastri said, Whoa, 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 I'm not I'm not driving for Alpine and everyone went, oh, Okay, so who are you driving for? McLaren? Um and I think it was at that moment that Ricardo almost then stopped trying on track. He didn't need to try, he knew he'd lost his, his seat. And that's the thing. This is what makes him I think the biggest loser. This is is he's lost out on so much. He's lost his sort of spark and his happiness, his magic, that, that Daniel Ricciardo, big excitement, you know, happy, smiley, grinning Ricardo, And he's also lost his mojo in the car, if you if you like. There was very little of the late-breaking, ultra-controlled Ricardo that we're used to. There was uh, only a couple of moments which I thought, wow, you know, yep. we've got we've got the Daniel Ricciardo of, of old back. Um and then at the end of that he loses his his seat in a kind of embarrassing way and finally finally ends his the his season behind people like Valtteri Bottas in in the Alfa Romeo and in, in 11th place with 37 points is is that is that where he should be no absolutely it's not where he should be it's not where McLaren should be especially when you look at 
Lando Norris, who was in seventh place with 122 points. Mm. You just, I just got to wonder, really, like what what happened to Ricardo this year? And unfortunately, that's it's just one of those cruel exits out of the sport. And every so often, you see a driver making wrong move after wrong move. I think he shouldn't have left Renault. I said that before. I stick yep. by that. But now yeah. the only redeeming thing for Ricardo this year is he will end up at Red Bull, and I think that's that's okay. Um, being the third driver, you know, at least he's still in sport and on the podium. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, he's still got one foot in, if you will. I mean, the ambition to get back uh, in the season after next, I think, is. Well, it is, an, it is ambitious, to, to use the phrase again, really. I can see him getting in with a lower team, such as Williams, for example, or indeed Haas, if things don't go too smoothly there. But I can't see him getting in with Alpine, getting in with a team like McLaren, getting into that top echelon or quartile of the table, which he says he wants to do and believes he's capable of. Because, yes, there's no doubt he's a very good driver, but drivers who leave and come back are normally those who have won championships, not won race in the last two seasons, for example. I think it's just an embarrassing way how this has gone for Ricardo being released from his contract a year earlier. And yes, there's the argument to go and say if the uh, Piastri fiasco hadn't have happened, then maybe they'd have given him one more year. But I don't really buy into that either, really, because the gulf, as you say there, between him and Norris is huge. I mean, when we compare, for example, in the table of the Drivers' Championship, P8 falling down to P11, the gap between this last season's points tally for him and this season's is a whopping 78. I mean, it's massive, isn't it, really? And yes, there's a, a case to go and say, well, OK, McLaren didn't have as good a car uh, this season as they did last, but it's still a pretty good car, a car that Lando Norris could get up to, well, third place, for example, on one occasion, and consistently be in the points, P4, another finish as well. So this was no uh, slump of the car, if you will. This was no Aston Martin or something like that, which you really had to drag through uh, the field to go and get the best out of it and to get points in there, really. So... I think he is the biggest loser. I just am so frustrated, really. I remember the hype and the anticipation when it was announced that he and Norris would be together. The fact that he was leaving Renault on a, on a fairly good high and he could come into this sport and uh, come into this team, rather, and ultimately... You know, even have a chance at maybe getting one of the Mercedes seats if things don't go correctly there. It was talked about on this very podcast many means ago if he was able to, to do so well owing to the Mercedes relationship in terms of engines that the Benz team has with McLaren. But I think if we talk about consequential seasons moving forwards, yes, you can make the argument with Sonoda, but this is quite clear that Ricardo is not going to get back up to being in one of the main seats for a very top team. He's almost had his chance with Red Bull and for whatever reason left that team. There's many schools of thought about why he did that, but that was, really was a, a watershed moment, I feel, for his career. And it's a shame, as I say, it's nothing more I can say than that, really. And it's just, yeah, just so disappointing that it's, it's happened this way. But um, I think it was a matter of time, as I say. The, the the win in Monza last year was very good, but it was papering over the cracks. And the cracks were that Ricardo just wasn't really hitting it off with McLaren. And uh, I think it's in everyone's benefit that it's gone this way in terms of them both going their separate ways. Because one more year, I think, with this relationship would have been quite consequential, really, for McLaren, who have suffered financially in the pandemic. You know, staying where they are, in P5 and the championship or even going down, which I, I don't think it's impossible to say when you look at how well other teams are doing in terms of their driver recruitment and their funding behind them. It was a question really about what do McLaren want to be? What do they want to do in the sport? And it's quite clear they've made a sporting decision rather than a uh, a brand or marketeering um, decision there. So credit to them. A difficult one to make, you know, releasing someone early, paying them off in many regards, but I feel it had to be done. There is uh, one one redeeming thing, though, and I would like to highlight it because I think we're not going to really get a chance given this is our penultimate episode and last and uh, last one, I suppose, discussing individual drivers like, like this and analysing them, mm. is to go out on a bit of a high with Ricardo. He did have a couple of really nice moments. One was Singapore when he shone a bit in Singapore and got fifth. And the other one was Mexico. If you remember Mexico, I say that is his finest drive. It wasn't his that's highest finish this year. That actually was Singapore. But Daniel Ricardo in Mexico when he got do you remember he got put on new soft tires mm-hmm. and 
the Daniel Ricciardo old popped back out just for a brief moment when he was overtaking left, right, and center, diving down the inside and putting that, well, putting that McLaren exactly where it should have been, really. And it was really nice that he had that little bit of just a little bit of magic in the season because it had been so terrible up to that point. It, everyone was like, wow, I forgot how good Daniel Ricciardo was back in the mm. day. And he absolutely was. So, Although I agree, I think Angus has made an excellent choice actually with the driver that I think has had a had a pretty awful season. At least he had a couple of good moments. I think you know I, I could go back and watch the Mexican Grand Prix and, and really enjoy Daniel Ricciardo's performance, even if he did try to take himself out um, a couple of mm. times before that in the race by crashing. Absolutely, and it's good to see, as you say, there was there is the talent still there. There is the ability for him to 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 come back and to show us that in some capacity. But uh, too little, too late, unfortunately. And I suppose now moving on to our constructors' uh, choices. There, then, Tristan, who have you picked and why? Well, it's gonna it's gonna be no surprise, I think, um, who I've picked because I've already spoken about Matteo Bonotto at Ferrari. And then now it's time to talk about Ferrari themselves. Big, mm. I think they're the biggest losers um, this year because they're losing Matteo Bonotto. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I joke, but maybe only slightly joking. Um, Ferrari this year have had an absolute roller coaster, and I think they have had the, the biggest loss completely. And that is they have lost first place and it was theirs to lose. They had an incredible car going into this season it was beautiful beautiful to look at and also beautifully fast agile in you know, charles leclerc had the most podiums this year out of anyone which shows you that that car was incredibly pacey perhaps not race pace but but had outright pace it was fast it was excellent all round excellent package and as I said in the opening segment they stormed out the gates very very early looked very very strong everyone was saying it's going to be a Ferrari and they bundled it up, bungled it up massively. And here we are. Here we are with, with Ferrari only just taking second place, nearly losing second place constructors and second place drivers. You would have expected Ferrari to, I, I think it's safe to say, at least I was, expecting Ferrari to be um, challenging both for, for first and second place with maybe Carlos Sainz, but... Carlos Sainz was was ended up being nowhere either, um, mm. ending in fifth place behind George Russell and Sergio Perez. I mean, we expected Sainz really should have been in in fourth place, but no, he can he couldn't beat George Russell in the in the Mercedes either. Ferrari have just had disaster after disaster, terrible strategies. They couldn't get their tires ready at points. Never forget when they uh they put the car on three tires for a brief moment and then went oh no <laughs> there's actually four tires on our car um crikey that like things like that you just think to yourself yeah. how is a team like Ferrari ever going to win again mm. if they can't even get a proper pit stop sorted because I mean, it just it's unacceptable to come out in, in a pit stop um, and poor Carlos Sainz had to watch this. You know, but, um, and with, with three tyres, and that was at Zandervoort. Just ridiculous. And and then you start thinking, right, so if they can't even get a pit stop right, if they can't get their strategy right, what's the point? There is no point having the fastest car if you can't get everything together. And so Ferrari sort of felt like, like a cake batter that split, if you like. Um, you thought it was going to go really well and it splits and there's nothing you can do. You've got to bin it and start again. And unfortunately, Ferrari have decided that they aren't going to bin everything and start again properly. They're just going to ditch Matteo Bonotto. And you know what's going to happen next year? Tom, do you know what's going to happen? Go on then. Same thing has happened this year. Yep. I'm willing to bet. And because it happened last last time they changed their, their um, team principal and it will happen again. And so it's as a... As a I think a Ferrari fan, I don't know how you can just take it year after year after year. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not a, a massive Ferrari fan, but it would be nice if they won again at some point. I think we'd all get a kick out of Ferrari winning at some point just because they haven't won for so long. But I can see those those dreaded anniversaries popping up, you know, not that long. 25 years since Ferrari last took their championship win. 30 years since they took their championship win. It's like England trying to win the World Cup. Just, <laughs> you know, you start thinking, like, 30 years, 50 years. 
Mm. I mean, we're going to get to a hundred years. We are. We are. We're getting pretty close to that magic one hundred. Only forty to go, Tom. Only forty years to go, and I can see <laughs> Ferrari ending up in the same sort of place with with Ferrari um, winning the world championship. It's just. It's it, it's just diabolical, and they're just going to keep getting rid of the person at the top without actually having a proper think about what they can do next. It's uh yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think they're going to start nabbing the great strategists from other teams, perhaps to try and correct them a bit because they someone's got to grip Ferrari properly, and maybe it's just too bureaucratic. And I mm. I don't know. We, we're never privileged to those sort of conversations, but this year they had a real chance, and they and they let it slip. Absolutely. Good analogy there with England versus Ferrari, but I would say that England and the Southgate in their current campaign have far more hope than Ferrari do at winning anything, really, because without repeating myself, the fact that they came closer to third in what was a two-horse race, having the best car, I think, on paper and indeed in raw pace when it comes to Saturday, just says everything, really, doesn't it? And when you consider... And seasons gone by in 21 and 20 where they're given a free pass so into I suppose the the sanctions they were paying for their illegal engine in 2019 and even in 2019 as well they were never really put under the magnifying glass it was always oh well Mercedes are dominant in 2019 Ferrari will never catch them because they are not as good as Mercedes and they didn't have a Lewis Hamilton so second is a, a decent score 2020 well we know that's going to be a poor season it's a bit tough that they were close to Alpha Tauri very much in mid-table in sixth place but you know you've got to go and look at it in context 2021 comes around oh look at that they're getting up to the top of the time sheets occasionally oh that's nice and we like Leclerc he's a good driver and Bernardo seems like a pretty decent guy and signs as well yeah he's not bad at all to be fair so um yeah good on Ferrari nice to see them back if you will then we get to this season where they come storming out the blocks, you have the issues with the powertrains of Red Bull and them developing their own engines from scratch, if you will, and not having someone do it for them, so to speak, and you think, oh dear, could this be the chance where Ferrari bring it home, where they go and bring home one championship or both? And I don't think anyone out there, fan or otherwise, thought that Ferrari could be capable of winning both championships. But the fact they've finished so far away in both such a degree where you've got Mercedes closing in on them in the final few races and when you've got a near a near 1-2 really for Red Bull when it comes to the drivers is really quite embarrassing. And as you say there, Tristan, I think if they carry on as is, if they go and hire another person from within be that inside the Ferrari works team, the Scuderia team, or if they go down to Alfa Romeo, if they go down to Haas, and nab someone like, with respect, Fred, Fred Vassar or Gunter Steiner, it's just repeating the same old thing, the same old problems again. It's going, well, we're Ferrari, we believe we're the best, we can only go hire within, we can only hire somebody who respects or knows the Ferrari way and culture, and we're not going to go and change that because... We do things our way and that's fine. Well, it's, it's not fine if you're just constantly screwing up races, championships, drivers' careers as well. Because let's be fair, someone like Leclerc and Sainz aren't in Formula 1 to make up the numbers. They want to be in the sport to win races, to win championships. There was even the debate going into the season about... Verstappen versus Leclerc. Could Leclerc really <laughs> yeah. go and take the, the, the battle to Verstappen? Could he be the the next person to pinch the crown or indeed challenge him for that? And I still think he can, but looking at this season, looking at how Ferrari have screwed up one, one of his good seasons or indeed a season of his youth, you think, well, how many seasons does he have left? How many seasons or opportunities will he have? You know, fair on fair to go and fight Verstappen for the championship because it currently is Team Max versus the chaos that is Ferrari. Signs as well. Left McLaren, a very good team, doing very well there. Everything going in the right direction. But they weren't quite there. They weren't quite able to go and compete for the race victories yet. I think McLaren will get there, but they weren't there at that moment. So Signs goes, understandably, right, I'll go to Ferrari. Very good team. Uh, a heritage team in Formula 1, lots of money behind them, a lot of intelligent people. Once again, fifth place. Behind George Russell, who's had a very good season, but in a far worse car than he has. Only six points away from Lewis Hamilton, who's had arguably one of his worst seasons in a very long time. It's all relative, of course, but still. And you just think something's got to change, be that from the drivers, in terms of them sort of not fighting back as such, but demanding change, to someone from the top of Ferrari going... Why are we in the sport? Because you mentioned there the pit stops. I think back to when Sainz was fighting, I believe it was Perez in a, 
sort of mid-season Grand Prix, mid-battle, and then the, they get onto his radio and say, oh yeah, do you want to pit now? He's like, well, let the man fight for his own position without getting into his ear and saying softs and mediums, hards, plan A, plan B question. Like, it's just amateur hour, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. But I, the optimist in me says things will change. The realist in me has been watching Formula 1 since 2008. Goes, it will not, but we'll see. No, of course it won't. Maybe they need to stop making so many plans. You know, they're, they're good, ah, we're going to plan G, plan G. We're going to try the intermediates, see if they uh, help at all. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's the thing. But at least at least Ferrari gave us what I think is the prettiest car on the grid yeah. this year. And it was it was stunning. Maybe maybe also the Aston Martin was um, pretty, pretty as well. Um, mm. Apologies for the double word there, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, it was it was a good car. It was a, it was a good car, and I think we can say that. I think we can say it was a, it was a really good car. But Ferrari mm. just absolutely bottled it. Now going on to Angus's pick, he's gone for Alpine. He sent us a few bullet points. Let me just read them out for you now. So reasons are, he said, they should have wrapped up fourth in the constructors much earlier. They're still miles off the top four, top three teams. They've got poor reliability issues still. They've lost their greatest asset, asset being Alonso and their greatest future asset in Piastri. Therefore, their driver lineup is worse. So they end the season in a worse position then they started it. And I remember when he put this in the group chat, I thought to myself, well, that's quite harsh because I always go and judge this on where teams or drivers were last season compared to this season. And you saw Alpine beating McLaren there, getting into that fourth place, when I think there were very few among us who thought that was possible or indeed likely, but they've done that. Taking the, fir the, fir uh, taking the first point uh, here, when he says they should have wrapped it up earlier, I think that's that's very fair, but they've still wrapped that up. Poor reliability, yep, that remains, but I think in the grand scheme of things, and relatively speaking, their reliability has improved, but there's always improvement to be done. Miles of the top three, well, I think that's the case for any team. I don't think there's going to be a team moving forwards who's going to go and break into that top three owing to the signs of all of them and the calibre of driver they have. And that's after the regulations have settled, if you will, but I'd love to be proved wrong in that regard. Lost their greatest asset in Alonso. I, I can see that to a degree when it comes to next season and maybe the season after, but Alonso's shelf life is coming to the end. There's going to be a scenario in my mind where he drops off a cliff and does a Vettel, if you will, where he's still a good driver, but not the great driver that he was. And I'm, I'm not convinced still that bringing in someone like Pierre Gasly, who's a lot younger yet has great experience at the top, uh, part of the table with Red Bull and also in the middle tier with AlphaTauri is necessarily a bad one. There's no doubt that ultimately Piastri would, was their first choice. They went to court over it, uh, lest we forget. So ultimately he would have been their preferable choice in terms of, I suppose, the future and also Team Harmony as well, knowing how Gazi and Ocon don't really get on. They're going to bury the hatchet, if you will. So he says they're in the worst position from the end of the season than they were at the start. I don't I don't really agree with that because they've finished higher than the season before and they've got a very solid driver pairing that has the legs to go on because they would have had to replace Alonso in three years max, but they've now got a driver partnership that can go on for five years at the very least if all goes well. So it's not been an amazing season, but I don't think they're a loser at all. Well, given that I picked Alpine as having a very good season, I don't think I can... Uh, comment too much whether a little bit because I'd be a bit biased and and for my reasons why I think they did quite well. Um, you should uh, assess the the last podcast because I I kind of agree with what you're saying and I think I mean I think we all expected Alpine to do badly or at least Angus expected them to do very badly. He did. He did. Um, and so he's to double down on that. I I personally don't think that um they did particularly badly because they mm. ended up getting the the position they ended up yeah. taking fourth place and yes they should have maybe you might say they wrapped up earlier but this is this is the problem with ferrari is they 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 lost out on the first place and and you know by sort of clowning around alpine sort of clowned around a bit and, and almost lost it but ended up doing what mattered and taking the position uh, and taking fourth position from McLaren. 
um, who mm. you might say was, was more deserving, but it doesn't matter. So I think they've done quite well this year, actually. And yes, they've also lost Piastri. But again, as you say, we have to wait to see what they do next year and how good they are next year. But they gained one Pierre Gasly out of it. And Pierre Gasly is a, is a top driver. And I really wanted him to go to a decent team. So I would say he is a decent team. And at the end of the day, the Alpine recipe for success has has been maximum speed, worry about reliability earlier. And yes, you can bring out those arguments, say, well, Fernando Alonso lost 60 points because they're on reliability. And that means they would have been, you know, had even more points. But it actually doesn't matter. You could give Alpine all the points, all 60 points, all 70 points, if you were being particularly kind. That would have left mm. them on 240 points. They needed double that to reach Mercedes and P3. Yeah. So this is the this is my my prognosis of Alpine is performance was fantastic when it worked and when it didn't work it was pretty disastrous but we can learn from that and they managed to get to their positional fourth place beating McLaren you can't say fairer than that so mm. my question is is what more would you have wanted from Alpine if you wanted to say they were the biggest losers because <laughs> I, I can't think of something mm. they didn't achieve. I mean, maybe a podium, but then again, there was only three teams on the grid that could have won a podium in my mind because the midfield was so congested throughout the entirety of the season and it was only Alpine who were able to pull away from that because if you look at the gap between them and McLaren, for example, we're not talking about a photo finish. Yes, there was a chance that they could have nabbed that from them owing to that reli the reliability issues we mentioned there, but McLaren weren't without their reliability issues as well. I mean, they had four, uh, five DNFs, if I'm counting that correctly, I mean, so various different things. So I think, I, I don't really, yeah, I, I know Angus isn't here to go and defend himself, but I did have, that one did have me scratching my head a bit because I think that's the the best that Alpine could have hoped for. And in terms of the future, well, we, can, we can't really comment on that because we get to go and see what transpires. So sorry, fella, but I just, I, I, I don't have confidence in that, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. If you actually look at the season, that's why it's so important to, to be in the top three teams because it basically allows you to be um, on on the top set for the podium as a, as a funk work of the 2022 season. Do you know there is only one race in which Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes didn't make up in some manner the the, the podium? Oh, well, I didn't know that. I know it's really depressing. Now I look at the yeah. statistics, but then that was the um, Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, uh, yes. in which it was Red Bull, Red Bull, McLaren, Mercedes. So <laughs> there was only one, and weirdly, if you want to know, Valtteri Bottas ended up being in fifth position. Um, Good on Bass Bottas for that. So there, there was only one race in which Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari weren't making up the, the podium in some sort of way. And that is insane. And so, uh, yeah, I agree that they would have been nice if they got a podium, but that means Ferrari would have had to lose a driver. Red Bull would have had to lost a driver. Mercedes would have had to lost two drivers, for example. And then there you go. That frees up one position. Yeah, yeah. And what what's the odds of that? I mean, we are, really are talking sort of cherry on top of the cake here when it comes to a podium, I think, for Alpine, looking at where they were last season compared to this one. But um, oh, I'll let Angus defend himself when he comes back. Yeah, we'll bring him up again. I'm excited <laughs> to see where they go next year. Mm, I am as well. I am as well, because I think in terms of a consistent pairing, they probably have the best sort of average ability out of, I'd say, any in the midfield, at least, because previously you got the impression it was very much Team Alonso until he decided to up sticks and leave. But now I think Ocon and Gasly, you'd be very difficult to go and separate them, really, in terms of quality and what they've done for the sport as well. Yeah, and, and we know Alonso was, was fantastic, and there's no getting away from that. And he mm. did bring them, for example, a podium last year. And we, we can't forget those wonderful moments. And, and, you know, Ocon taking his first win as well. That's you know, the, These are brilliant moments of the last two years. But in, if you look at the, the, the season from the team perspective, mm. then Alpine came in fifth last year, even with that cherry on top in 2020. They, uh, yeah. the, you know, it was Renault came in fifth. This is the first year that they've managed to take themselves up a notch and beat McLaren. And you could say, well, that's all Daniel Ricciardo's fault. Well, I, who cares if it's Daniel Ricciardo's fault? The fact is the team didn't manage it. 
whereas Alpine did. So yeah, but hopefully they'll build on this this car. And next year, I I think they could be even stronger for fourth position, and and that would be fantastic. Absolutely, and it's very much the constructors where money's decided. Indeed, wind tunnel time for next season. And going on to my choice, I've already mentioned them heavily. There's a bit of a theme here, if you will. But Alpha Tauri, 2021 P6, 2022 P9. That's 142 points to 35 points. Need I say more? They were only two points off Haas in P8, and yes, they were coming in with a new a new power unit, the Red Bull powertrain, if you will. So you can go and cut them some slack, if you will. But for a team that wants to be compared to, or indeed deemed as a sister team of the double championship winning Red Bull, who let's be fair with AlphaTauri have an established driver lineup. They say no, we're not a junior, we're a sister. You expect more than ninth place, and we ultimately know that as hinted at earlier, there championship prize money is going to hinder them next season. Add on to that the fact that they've lost definitely, definitely their biggest asset in Pierre Gasly to Alpine, who who they trailed by 13 points last season. Ultimately, a competitor that Alpine were to AlphaTauri. When you consider the gulf between them now in terms of one finishing in P4 and the other in P9, battling for P8 and being propped up by someone like Williams. You think, well, what does the future look like for AlphaTauri? Pretty bleak in my mind because Nick DeVries is coming in, is a very good driver. There's no doubt about that when we consider how well he did in his first race in Formula 1 with Williams scoring a P9 finish and he's been a good asset for Mercedes in the past, often by Total Wolf's sort of right shoulder, if you will, for, for some reason. He's a man who knows a lot about the sport, be that sort of on the track and off the track as well. But we're still talking about somebody here in Nick De Vries who is 28 years old has only raced once in Formula 1 he is let's be fair an unknown quantity when it comes to consistency when it comes to decision making over an extended period of time and as I mentioned there earlier in this episode, indeed, Sonoda's not had a very good season. Somebody who we still deem as a rookie who has mistakes in him, who didn't do any better than Mick Schumacher was dumped from the sport entirely, maybe indefinitely, we will never know. So in my mind, when we compare the finish of 21 to 22, the full from grace from being a comfortable mid uh, midfield team, having an established driver lineup, having you know the the, the credits and indeed the well deserved reputation of being a uh, a sister team to Red Bull, they've lost that really, and I think this could have lasting and severe consequences when we consider how different the prize money is in terms of total from the midfield positions of P5 and P6 all the way down to P9. So I think it's a bleak short-term future for AlphaTauri, and indeed long one if they don't have a, a very good season where they hit the ground running in 23. Yeah, and it's funny how we were going to flick between junior team and sister team for AlphaTauri and, and to mm. two Red Bull, um, depending on how well they do. They haven't done nearly as good as they should have this year, but then we don't don't really know what went wrong, to be honest, actually. And it's, I don't think we'll ever know. Maybe the arrow was wrong. They had the same, there's the same engine as Red Bull, and Red Bull were consistently incredibly quick. So something wasn't right. But again, this is the quirks of a new aero system a new new aero package rules is one team try something another team try something slightly different and everyone will converge on the single point of perfection by the end of the uh the pinnacle of the you know, five years we've got this particular aero package before um we sort of change it up again because one particular team has become too dominant maybe that's red bull maybe it's not who knows you know see what ferrari and mercedes are made of over the next couple of years but you can't help thinking that that um pierre gasly could have picked a good time to jump ship uh, mm. the only way he could have beaten it is if he'd run away last year but fernando alonso was uh sticking around for a bit longer i think and um and that that kind of scuppered his plans but i think this year alpha tauri have had a an okay driver in an okay car in yuki Tsunoda and a good driver in an okay car in pierre gasly and i can't I can't imagine that was particularly fun for either drivers because Yuki will consistently be saying, well, it's not my fault, that's the car. And Pierre mm -hmm. Gasly will know that it's not his fault and it's probably the car. So I don't think there were many people who will be happy with the performance from AlphaTauri, especially as what you, you know, from what you say last year and their brilliant performance. I mean, they, 
AlphaTauri were in sixth place last year. That's just such a such a fall mm. from grace. So that again, a massive differential of points that they've just lost. And why have they lost them? I I just think they picked the wrong wrong setup this year. Um, and then they they're gonna have to kind of hope that they can pick it up and and I suppose, I think for next year capitalize on having looked at maybe what Red Bull's been doing. Um, maybe look at how Ferrari have, have designed the car and, and try and pick up the season next year because they will not want to repeat this position because losing to losing to Haas for them after so confidently beating so many other teams mm. last year will be very, very disappointing. And, okay, it was only two points, but that's the thing. It doesn't it doesn't really matter. And I think I think perhaps um Alpha Tauri will not only be looking at their own aero package, but also looking at as sort of said earlier, Yuki Sonoda, because that's both Alpha Tauri's um two points for Alpha Tauri really this year that they've had perhaps a driver that's not been very good and a car that's not been very good either. There were lots of mistakes. So I think if you're an Alpha Tauri fan, I think you'll be considering whether or not you spread your allegiance a little bit out um next year because honestly i just don't think they're deserving of the sister team name under this performance package and yes it might be a bit shallow to call them a junior team again but once they ditch pierre gasly i think they might well just be a junior team Mm. absolutely and do you think this season will have lasting consequences for for them and indeed for their drivers because i mentioned that both with sonoda and with alfa tari but do you buy into that at all no, they're not going anywhere. Red Bull value them too much as a test bed. And not as much as they used to be able to um, test aerodynamic performances, to try different engines and things like that. But they, they are a test bed for drivers. Although whether or not you believe that's particularly successful will be uh, how you view Pierre Gasly and Alexander Albon <laughs> with their experience of going up through um, Toro Rosso and um, AlphaTauri and then being ejected once they hit... Uh, Red Bull and the and the big top team, but they they value it to assess the the um, up and coming talent. So I don't think it's going to be going from there. But I think mm. perhaps they've lost a little bit of respect from from Red Bull simply because Red Bull don't need to respect them anymore, and that's basically why they get it. It's only because the the media, the fans go, "Wow, look how brilliant Alpha Tower is!" And then Red Bull, okay, sister team. Mm. Oh, sister team, yeah. we are all equal in the Red Bull family, and then they mm. don't do very well again. And they go, "Oh well, it's only our junior team. You can't, po- can't possibly imagine think they're going to be doing as well as us." So Come on, they will, yeah, yeah. It's just you know, it, at least it's not doubling the wind t- tunnel time as it kind of used to be. When do you remember when the, we we sort of found out that Alpha Alpha Romeo and Ferrari was was sharing yeah, in, information. Has, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that Mercedes and and Racing Point or Aston Martin um, were sharing information, and Red Bull and uh, Toro Rosso and Alfa Tauri, as they are now, were sharing information as well. So it kind of they've kind of cracked down on that, and that may be why we've seen such a differential in performance from Alfa Tauri. Because if you remember the, when they were doing really well, they they had the advantages of the pre twenty. Um, 18 2017 crackdown on that sort of stuff and it was the same sort of aero packages so alpha terry this is the first year alpha we haven't been really riding the wave of previous knowledge mm, and perhaps that has disadvantages them but that's the only long-term effect i think they're gonna have to take a bit of time now to to get back up to scratch and it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 41 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one. Be that on your preferred podcast provider, your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify, your Podfollow, whatever choice you choose you chose to listen to this on thank you very much and thank you as well if you've been listening on river radio be that live or via the listen back feature a reminder you can follow myself tristan and the f1 in review account on twitter the handle for 
the F1 in Review account is F1 in Review, no dots, no dashes, all one word, of course. And we return for one more episode before we finish for Christmas and for our Christmas break, this being F1 in Awards. These go to teams, drivers, and tracks maybe, and even personnel outside of the cars themselves that have contributed to what's been a very eventful and enjoyable season of F1 2022. So thank you very much for listening to this episode, and we'll be back next week.